Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. So today, um, I, I, I did a little mini-series, uh, started last week called The Path, and The Path talking about, The Path is the life uh, walk that we are walking, the journey that we are on. It's, called, it's a path. It's a narrow path. And um, we talked a little bit about that last week. And today I want to talk about an area of walking on that path that has to do with trust, has to do with can God trust me uh, with things? And um, not so much can I trust God, but can God trust me? And so I've entitled the message today, Entrusted. Everyone say entrusted. Entrusted. And it's a portion of Scripture that has bothered me every time I read it. And when I read it, I go, ooh, I hope that's not me. And, and I want to read this to you. Um, and it's, and it's uh, John chapter 2. We're going to pretty much stay in John today. John chapter 2, verse 23. And it says, while Jesus was at the Passover feast, the number of his followers began to grow. Um, some, peop- some translations say believers. And many gave their allegiance to him, because of all of the miraculous signs they had seen him doing. But Jesus did not yet entrust himself to them because he knew how fickle human hearts can be. He didn't need anyone to tell him about human nature for he fully understood what man was capable of doing. And we see the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 4 describes his life and ministry like this. He says, uh, this is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. That word entrusted is an interesting word in this context. You see, you have to understand that the Passover feast that we're reading about here and this whole event is taking place very soon after Jesus' first miracle at the wedding of Cana and turning water into wine. So he was not yet a public figure per se, but there were, there were people that were following him. There were people that, were, that word had gotten around, and, um, and, and they were watching. There was evidently some more miracles that were taking place. The crowd was gathering. They were watching him do these miraculous things and healings and setting people free. But it was the very early stages of Jesus' public ministry. Jesus wanted to be a little more measured with unfolding his glory to the world, but his mom kind of helped speed that up at the wedding of Cana. And now we see there are crowds forming, following him, and the Scripture says because of the miracles he was performing. Jesus knew that they were only following him because of what they saw and not necessarily their faith. It was sight-based and not faith-based. And their believing um, and following him consisted of uh, trying to get things in life from him, things like healing, physical healing, things like food and clothes and, and happiness and success and on and on and on. And, you know, I wonder if things have changed that much. I wonder if today people still follow Jesus for what they can get from him, relief from a problem or a situation. And, you know, I've heard it said a while ago, uh, and I think it just makes perfect sense, we tend to look to Jesus' hand 
to get what we need where He longs for us to look at His face and not, not necessarily ask Him for anything, but just to be with Him. In spite of all of Jesus' teachings that were starting to happen, this group of people that were following Him, they, there's no evidence that they were recognizing their own sinful condition. There's no evidence that they were seeing Him as truly the Son of God. There was no evidence that there was any repentance of sins. It wasn't that. They were following him and just amazed at what he was doing. And I wonder what kind of faith we have. I wonder if our faith is just about getting things done, what God can do. The, the, the list never ends. Have you ever noticed your prayer list never ends? It never gets shorter. There's always something on it. But Jesus knew that their belief in him was not correct. He knew that it wouldn't sustain them. He knew that it wouldn't last. He knew that how shallow and narrow it was. And, and, and he knew that one day that, that whatever measure of faith they had would be quickly reasoned away. He knew that if they relied on their religious background and teachings that they would come to a place where they would realize he could not ever be the son of God. He'd be an impossible candidate for that role. And Jesus knew that that day would come. They would dismiss him as quickly as they found him. Over the years, my wife and I, our hearts have broke at times when we've watched people come to a, 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 an experience with Christ and, and, and they start to grow, but things start to go south and work out and they walk away from him as quickly as they came. And that's not the kind of faith that I want. They were persuaded enough to follow him, but, but, but not persuaded enough to fully commit to him. And so, in a, in a lot of ways, it was an intellectual conviction only, and not a heart change, not a transformation. And that intellectual conviction was based on the signs and wonders that he performed. It was very superficial. I wonder if things have changed that much with us. And I'm speaking to myself as well. And so they would not fully commit themselves to him. And we see here that he would not and could not entrust himself to them. Doesn't mean that he, he didn't want anything to do with them. He did. But there was this trust issue. And so he held back something of himself to them. He, he refused to bring them into his confidence. He, he refused to share all of his heart with him. You know, we're talking about uh, friendship in a lot of ways. I mean, would it be fair to say that in your life there are things that you would share with close friends that you wouldn't share with casual friends? Right? And so... That's what we're talking about here today is that Jesus didn't feel like he could give himself fully to them because they were spectators. They were followers, but they weren't necessarily wholehearted believers yet. And so in a sense, they become untrustworthy believers. And when I read this, man, it just wrecks me because I never want, I never want God to not be able to trust me. I want him to entrust me with the deep things of God, the secret things of God, the things that God the Father has shown him, I want him to show me. And I know that's your prayer. You wouldn't be here today. So today, I want to just point out a few things. I feel like 
we'll just identify what's going on here in the situation. Um, I, I, those followers that we're reading about are much like followers today, and we're going to call them fickle followers. Fickle followers, okay? The word fickle means non-constant. It means non-loyal in affections. You, you never know. We, we, we always say, you know, people are so fickle in their feelings, and you just never know what you're going to get. And, and the fickle followers are people whose faith is based on signs and who do not have a spiritual relationship to be considered friends of Jesus. So I want to give you some examples of fickle followers in the New Testament. One of them is a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. You might know the name. And he was the one that had asked for the body of Christ. Remember that? After Jesus was crucified. And this is what it says about Joseph. It said, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple, a secret disciple, because he feared the Jewish leaders. He asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. And when Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. Man, you know, if you think about it, this was the first time that Joseph came out and even acknowledged in the slightest degree that he, that he had an interest in Jesus or a friendship with Jesus. And, and so it, he was putting it all on the line after the fact. Up until this time, he was a secret disciple for fear of the Jews. See, he had a lot to lose because um, he was, he was a leader. He was an official in Judaism, and he knew that he could be ostracized for, for just mentioning that he was following Jesus. He was a prominent figure in politics in Jerusalem. He was a member of the governing body. He was a well-respected man who had a lot to lose and yet was afraid to make it known that he believed in Jesus. And he stood to suffer persecution and ridicule and loss of position, and all of that added together caused him to be a secret disciple. And then Nicodemus is the Pharisee that we read about in John 3, and probably one of the most well-known scriptures that, that you and I have ever heard of is John 3.16. Well, that's Jesus talking to Nicodemus. And maybe you didn't know this, but Nicodemus kind of drops off the scene after John 3. We don't hear much about him. But did you know that Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea were the two that actually prepared Jesus' body for burial after he was brought down from the cross? And again, somewhat in secrecy. Earlier in the book, he seems sympathetic to Jesus in the book of John, but he doesn't really take the step to identify with Jesus. We see in chapter 7, I want you just to see if you pick up on this, um, this is his moment. It's after meeting with Jesus secretly at night. It's after Jesus tells him you must be born again. He has the moment to say to his peers and to the world, I'm a believer. But this is what happens. It says that Nicodemus, who had secretly spent time with Jesus, spoke up for he was a respected voice among them. And he cautioned them, saying, Does our law decide a man's guilt before we first hear him and allow him to defend himself? And they argued, Oh, so now you're an advocate for this Galilean? You know, all he would have had to say is yes. But he stayed silent. Search the Scriptures, Nicodemus, and you'll see there's no mention of a prophet coming out of Galilee. And so with that, their debate ended. 
and they each went their own way. He had an opportunity, but he, he missed it. He was a secret believer, but to a, a, an observer, a casual observer, he was just another Pharisee. And he was part of a religious community that was condemning Jesus to death. But he never spoke up. I wonder how many of us are afraid of what our workers would say around the water cooler, around the lunch table, if we just at times spoke up and just said, Jesus is my best friend. I wonder how things would be different. I wonder if many of us are afraid of persecution and being ridiculed and, 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 and all of that and ostracized and all of that. And I get it. I get it. I mean, it, it's not comfortable. But when you love someone so much and they are your friend, are you truly ever going to turn your back on one of your earthly friends when they need you? No. Jesus is showing us something here that, you know, he's given it all for us. He just wants us to live for him and identify with him. Chapter 12, Jesus revert, uh, uh, I'm sorry, John refers to a group of fickle followers. You have to excuse me because I'm, I'm jacked up on a bunch of antibiotics for a, a sinus infection, so I could be preaching heresy. I don't know. I don't know. But my words aren't coming out exactly like I want them to be because I, you know, I feel um, really weird right now, so that's okay. It's not the anointing. I'll, I'll tell you that. It's not the anointing. It's something else. But um, So in John chapter 12, he refers to a group of fickle followers. Many people did not, or excuse me, many people did believe in him, however, including some of the Jewish leaders. That means some of the Jewish establishment, the Pharisees, they believed in him, but they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. Wow. That's crazy. And then there's a, there's a verse before this that differentiates these people from another group, and it says, but despite all the miraculous signs Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe in him in the way that they should. I've had people say to me, if I could just see a miracle, I'd follow him. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. Man, if he was right here for three years and doing miracles and all that, and people still didn't believe in him, what makes you think that you would? How true is it that you and I a lot of times miss out on the complete joy and the complete fullness of his presence, the, 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 the overwhelming peace that goes beyond understanding because we are not trusting him enough to open ourselves up to him. I really believe that this passage that we've just read is talking about this issue of intimacy. Now, I know how much guys hate the word intimacy. I know that. You know, guys, when we hear that word intimacy, this is what we picture, us being very vulnerable, crying like a baby in a fetal position in the frozen food aisle at King Cullen. That's what you picture intimacy ending up like. I know that. I get it. So, or the electrical aisle at Home Depot. Pick your, pick it. If, if you say at a craft store, then we need to talk because I, I don't have any respect for you. I, I'm just kidding. So, uh, I want to help you guys out a little bit. 
Tur- turn to another guy goes, he's going to help us out right now. Okay, I'm going to help you out right now, men. This is for men only right now. Because men hate this word, oh gosh, he's going to speak about intimacy again. I see it on your faces. You've already checked out. Oh my gosh, intimacy. Here we go, here we go. And, and so I want to help you out a little bit. So um, intimacy, 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 intimacy. Don't you love seeing these guys squirm? It, it's, it's, it's a major theme in this book. And um, so this is how I'm going to help you out, guys. I actually took the time to look in a thesaurus to find words that mean intimacy that are not words intimacy. So I'm going to help you out a little bit. And if you can latch on to one of these words, every time you hear intimacy, think of this wor- word and you will be good to go. You're golden, okay? You good? These guys are not sure. They don't trust me right now. So here's, our, here's some words that mean intimacy. Affection. All right, still I'm not real comfortable with that. Affection. But how about this one, men? Confidence. Place your confidence in another man, right? Confidentiality. You're, you're so close to someone that you can tell that person anything. How's that? Is that better? How about this one? Familiarity. Famili- you're, you're, someone that you're familiar with. You know about them. They know about you. But this is the kicker. This is the one that I latch on to. Friendship. Because men are loyal to one another. And when a man finds another man that's a good friend, that's a best friend, they, are lo- they would die for that person. They will tell that person anything and vice versa. Am I, am I right? A brother, right? A brother in arms. Understanding is another word. Inwardness. That means that you're just not afraid to share with someone. Hey, dude, I'm struggling. That's friendship. Close relationship. So I think it's interesting. We don't get hung up on this word intimacy. What Jesus is saying is, I want friends, and I want close friends. Does that help? You feel good? Everyone going to meet at Home Depot today and buy something? Let's go buy a power tool, guys, and we'll feel better. Pastor Ben, these guys are in rough shape over here. John 15, verse 9 says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love, and when you obey my commands, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will, be, will overflow. This is my command. Meant. <laughs> Commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. See, that's the, that's the linchpin there. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father has told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my commandment, that you love one another. Jesus is looking for friendship, close friendship. He was was addressing the, the people that were closest to him in all the world, and that's his disciples. And he goes on to say in verse 15, I never called you servants in the Passion Translation because a master doesn't confide in his servants. But he says, but I call you my most intimate friends, for I reveal to you everything that I've heard from my Father. And when you have a friend, 
You know, if you've been in the in, in, if you've been in war and you've had a, a brother, uh, a band, you know, you have a band of brothers, you have a brother that 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 you fought for, you'd lay down your life for. You, 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 maybe you're a police officer here today and you've had a partner that you just know they've got your back and you've got their back and you can tell them anything. It's that kind of friendship we're talking about here. And I can do that. I can do that. And Jesus did that with the disciples, but he did not do that with the followers in Jerusalem because he couldn't and he wouldn't and I wouldn't. There's no way I would I would open my heart and be vulnerable to people that I don't know. But friends, you would just share. You'd share anything with them, no matter what, right? So Jesus is basically talking about another level of friendship. But the price tag is this, obedience. That's the price tag of it. John Bevere wrote a book a few years ago called Drawing Near, and this is what he wrote. He said, it is the fear of the Lord that keeps us from sin while sin keeps us from intimacy with God. The primary manifestation of the fear of the Lord is unwavering obedience to the desires and will of God. Some, there are some who are saved but lack intimacy with God, still living in the outer court, restricted by the veil of their own flesh. They cannot draw near unto the new and living thing. Man, there's times in my life where I know that that veil of flesh has kept me from that close friendship with God. I know it. First Peter 2 talks about Jesus, the way he walked the path. And it says, when he was verbally abused, he didn't return it with an insult. When he suffered, he didn't threaten retaliation. Jesus faithfully entrusted himself into the hands of God who judges righteously. He, he himself carried our sins into his, in his body on the cross so that we would be dead to sin and live for righteousness. Our instant healing flowed from his wounding. You were like sheep that continually wandered away, but now you have returned to the true shepherd of your lives, the kind guardian who lovingly watches over your souls. If our band could come up, we're going to start to wrap this up today. Man, this is talking about allowing God to look into our heart, but for, for God allowing us to look into His. Looking into the very heart of God is seeing what He sees, feels what He feels. That's a level of friendship where we become one in the Spirit and our desires match His for our lives. And it one last thought I want, I want to just touch on here is that he won't entrust you with his Father's mission until he can entrust you, entrust himself to you. Man, we all want to do things for God. We all want to, we all want to you know, fulfill every purpose that God has called us to, but this is the thing. He's not going to entrust me, himself to me until he knows that I've entrusted myself to him. And he's not going to entrust people to me if he knows that I haven't entrusted myself to him. We're, we're all called to do the Great Commission. One of the last things Jesus did before he ascended to heaven was gather the troops and say, this is the plan, this is the goal, this is the vision, and that your lives would affect other people's lives. Do you know that our goal and our mission is to go out into the darkness and find people that are 
lost and finding their way and put their hand on the doorknob of the door. That's our job. Jesus said, now go in my authority and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to faithfully follow all that I have commanded you, and never forget that I am with you every day, even to the completion of this age. Can he entrust himself to you? You know, there are people that, and I don't mean this in a judging way or condemning way, but it's just an observation, man. There are people that will find themselves here on a Sunday, and while you're here, it's great, and, you know, it's exciting, and you're happy, and you're raising your hands, but maybe you were just clubbing the night before, and nobody in that club would ever know that you'd be here today. And there's so many stories like that. Your secret disciple of Jesus secret because you're afraid of what others would think and I just want you to know that Jesus will never force you or guilt you or but Jesus is wanting you to know he's extending his hand and he's saying man I want to be your friend and I want us to be close personal friends so that I can share with you the deep things and the, the mysteries that the father has showed me and I just want to ask you today isn't that your heart today? Isn't that your heart's cry? You wouldn't be here if you didn't feel that. And so if we could stand real quick and I want to pray for you and we're going to just we're going to just close and just worship God for just a minute. But how many here that that situation where Jesus would not entrust himself to others bothered you like it bothered me and it's like man I want God to be able to entrust his fullness to my life. I, I, I want him to be able to feel like, man, we are, we're close, we're friends. We're, he could share with me anything. He could show me anything. I will do anything he asks me to do. I will be there for him. I don't, even if he never, ever answers another prayer and gives me another thing, I'm committed to him because of who he is. Is there anyone else here that, other than me that's like, man, that's me and I just want to give him all today. Let's just, just raise your hands and Father, I just come before you today, God, and I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for the faithfulness of your word. I thank you, God, that you loved us enough to be honest with us and be truthful with us like a faithful friend would. And God, I just ask your forgiveness for times when we haven't completely followed you times where we've been secret disciples, we've been fickle followers, times where we've just been afraid of what others would think. But the reality is, God, I want, we want you to show us, God, the people around us that are hurting. And that might manifest itself in sarcasm and anger and, and all of that, but God, deep down inside, those people are hurting, God. And I just pray that you'd give every believer in this room today the insight, God, to recognize the areas that we've held back from you. And God, today we just want to say as your people, we are all in. We're fully committed, not in word only, but in action. So God, we want to be best friends with you. We want to be intimate friends with you, God. 
that you could entrust yourself fully to us. We thank you for your patience with us. And we praise you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Can we just worship God for a few minutes and praise him? He's worthy, isn't he? Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.